Welcome to Closing the Gaps in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer on ReachMD, sponsored by Lilly. Non-small cell lung cancer accounts for 84% of all lung cancer diagnoses, making it the most common type of lung cancer. But there is hope on the horizon as emerging technologies aim to address this very real threat in our patients. What those technologies are and how they have the potential to change our treatment approach will be the focus of today's discussion. Welcome to Closing the Gaps in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer on ReachMD. I'm Mario Nasinovich, and joining me is Dr. Gregory Kubischek, Associate Professor of Radiation Oncology at Rowan University and Staff Radiation Oncologist at the MD Anderson Cooper Cancer Center. Dr. Kubitschek, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here. Oncology has been a challenging but very rewarding career choice for me. So, Dr. Kubitschek, to start us off, can you give us a brief overview of the current directions and outlook for radiation oncology as a whole, just because this field has always been among the first to adopt new technologies for cancer care? Yeah, absolutely. So while we have a lot of work to do, there has been continued improvements in our ability to treat lung cancer. You know, as you know, most of the excitement has come from the medical oncology side with immunotherapy, targeted therapy, looking biopsy, but there has been some great innovations and advances in radiation oncology. Basically, the better computer technology gets, the better our ability to deliver precise radiation. This has led to radiosurgery, which entails high dose of radiation given with millimeter degree of precision. As opposed to conventional radiation, the doses in radiosurgery are so high that the cancer cell repair mechanisms are overwhelmed, and this results in more efficient cancer cell kill. While radiosurgery has been around for a while, the machines today are faster and more precise. And again, this has allowed us to use radiosurgery in new and exciting ways in the treatment of lung cancer, including the results of using radiosurgery for locally advanced stage 3 lung cancer. Uh, another innovation that we'll talk about is called the MRI LINAC. This is an MRI scanner built into a linear accelerator, and a linear accelerator is the machine that delivers the radiation. So using the MRI capabilities alongside the radiation delivery is another way to further improve our ability to deliver radiation in some really fascinating ways. For patients who have just been diagnosed with non-small cell lung cancer, What factors do you take into consideration when making treatment decisions, especially when chemotherapy isn't the best treatment for some patients? So therapies are becoming much more individualized. While stage is still important, there are now more and more nuances in deciding the best treatment. For early stage disease, the big decision is whether or not the patient is a surgical candidate. For patients in whom surgery is too risky, radiosurgery is a great option. As I mentioned, radiosurgery uses high-dose pinpoint radiation, This allows us to treat early-stage lung cancer with minimal toxicity and high control rates, all in less than a week of treatment. While radiosurgery has been around for a while, the technology has steadily improved, and this has allowed us to use radiosurgery in an increasing number of settings. For example, the initial data for early-stage lung cancer found that radiosurgery was good for small and peripheral lung lesions. Myself and others have published on radiosurgery for early-stage but larger tumors. For example, I treated one patient with a lung cancer that was over 12 centimeters. Our results, collaborated by others, show that as long as normal tissue constraints are met, that size is no longer a limit to the use of radiosurgery. This allows us to use the benefits of radiosurgery on a wider population of early-stage disease. On the other side of the stage spectrum, for metastatic disease, the paradigms are also changing. While we used to view all stage four as the same, as incurable disease, the field of oncology has begun to recognize that a subset of patients have limited metastatic burden and can enjoy long-term disease-free survival. 
These patients are referred to as oligometastatic, and we now have two randomized phase two studies in lung cancer showing a survival improvement to aggressive local therapy for these patients. MD Anderson and Heeson published a randomized phase two study looking at stage four lung cancer patients with three or fewer sites of metastatic disease who did not have progression after three months of initial systemic therapy. The patients were randomized to either maintenance therapy or local therapy to all areas of active disease. And the local therapy could include either surgery, radiation, or a combination, although the vast majority of patients happen to have radiation. The study closed when the interim analysis found a massive benefit to local therapy. The median survival in patients in the maintenance arm was 17 months, as compared to 41 months in patients getting aggressive local therapy. These results are pretty amazing that the median survival for stage four traditionally incurable disease treated with local aggressive therapy is almost three and a half years. What this means is that not all stage four is the same and that some patients appear to benefit from aggressive local therapy, potentially with curative intent. The oncology community is in the process of replicating the results and a larger randomized phase three study, and we are actively participating in one study at MD Anderson at Cooper. And since you started practicing radiation oncology, what type of advances have you seen in the treatment of non-small cell lung cancer? So we've seen steady improvements both in cancer outcome and also in preserving quality of life. The outcome for locally advanced disease, as well as metastatic disease, has continued to improve. This is the result of a number of parallel evolving processes involving both better systemic therapy, such as immunotherapy, but also better local therapy, such as radiosurgery. Part of the better therapy, but equally important, is in deciding which patients to use which therapies for. For those just joining us, this is Closing the Gaps in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer on ReachMD. I'm Mario Nasinovich, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Gregory Kubitschek about new and emerging approaches for treating non-small cell lung cancer. So, Dr. Kubitschek, let's continue to look at these advances from your vantage point as a radiation oncologist. A big focus in your field and also a perpetual challenge is finding ways to deliver radiotherapy as safely and as localized as possible. So can you tell us what the latest efforts have been to help advance those aims? Yeah, happy to. It's it's amazing how technology continuously evolves, which in turn improves our ability to use radiation with greater accuracy and precision. You know, the same advances that have allowed cell phones to evolve from flip phones to the iPhone X have done wonders for the delivery of therapeutic radiation. We can safely deliver higher doses of radiation in ever shorter periods of time. This allows us for better tumor control, but also makes it easier for patients since they don't have the same time commitment for treatment. At ASCO 2020, we're presenting our data on radiosurgery for locally advanced disease. Now, while radiosurgery has been used successfully in early stage disease, we expanded this concept to include stage three disease, So this is part of a clinical study where we asked the question of whether a modified radiosurgery approach using high-dose precision radiation over three to five treatments delivered in between full-dose chemotherapy cycles could improve outcomes for unresectable stage two and stage three non-small cell lung cancer. The current standard of care for these patients is six weeks of daily treatment along with lower doses of chemo because when chemotherapy and radiation are given on the same day, it's too toxic to give full-dose chemotherapy. But because radiosurgery is completed so quickly, we can complete the entire radiosurgery course in between the three-week cycles. Our thoughts were that full-dose chemotherapy could reduce the metastatic disease burden and that radiosurgery would improve local control. And I have to say we're very happy with our results. We found a median survival of over 27 months, which is the same outcome as recent cooperative group studies 
found for the same patient population, but they used the traditional six weeks of daily treatment. We found that our local and regional failure rate, as well as toxicity rates, were better than historical norms. Furthermore, we collected quality of life scores on our patients, and at one year, the quality of life was unchanged compared to baseline. What this means is that patients who had previously been treated with six weeks of radiation and low-dose chemo can potentially be treated with just one week of radiation and with high doses of chemotherapy, all while maintaining good quality of life without compromising on cancer outcome. Another advantage of this method is that it would allow treatment for patients with curable disease, but who are either elderly or frail and may not be able to tolerate a full six weeks of treatment. The prospect that they can be treated in one week could allow patients who would otherwise decline treatment to get the equal survival benefit of treatment, but in a much shorter time span. For example, one of the patients on our study was 91 years old, and as you would imagine, logistics were a problem. It would have been very difficult for him to get back and forth for six weeks of treatment, not to mention the increased toxicity with the six-week treatment approach. On the clinical protocol, he completed the radiation in just one week, he had a great disease response to the treatment, and had no side effects from the radiation. Now, our results do need to be uh, replicated by other institutions or perhaps a cooperative group study, but we are very excited with the results of this phase two study. How do you see the emergence of personalized medicine penetrating our therapeutic approaches to non-small cell lung cancer, both from your specialty standpoint and the oncology field in general? Yeah, this is an excellent question because we want to find patients who are most likely to benefit from any given therapy. For example, the typical response rate for second-line chemotherapy is around 10%. What that means is that only 1 in 10 patients will benefit from this therapy. But right now, we have no way of knowing who the 1 is and who the 9 are, so we have no choice but to give the same chemotherapy to everyone. A better approach, of course, is to find some biomarker to predict which patient will respond to which therapy. And we have this for targeted therapies. For example, we know that only patients with EGFR mutation will respond to an EGFR-targeted therapy. But we need to find better ways of finding more biomarkers. Uh, For example, a recent study found that KRAS mutations may predict for better response to radiosurgery. Now, this is fascinating because KRAS mutations will never have an actual mutation such as EGFR, ROS, et cetera. And so the possibility that they can respond well to radiosurgery is very intriguing. So one thought based on this is to use radiosurgery to all sides of metastatic disease in KRASME inpatients since they don't have an actual mutation amenable to targeted therapy. By treating all these uh, disease sites with radiosurgery, we could delay the use of cytologic chemotherapy for a year or so, maintain the patients with a good quality of life while controlling disease in a very excellent fashion. This is still very experimental and thought-provoking, but maybe the future of how we stratify some of these patients. And like I said, we still need more and better biomarkers. We discuss oligometastatic disease. This is a patient population that would be great to have some better predictive tools for. An ideal biomarker would predict which patients with limited metastatic disease can benefit from aggressive local therapy versus patients that will not benefit. And people are looking at circulating tumor cells, as well as machine learning analysis of diagnostic studies such as CT or PET scans. While there's not been any validated markers so far, we are certainly continuing to search for them. On a more simple and big picture, uh, we published results of looking at gate pace and predicting outcome. 
what we did is, uh, what we did was on three separate phase two studies, all of which enrolled patients with uh, locally advanced disease, we collected how long it took the patients to walk six meters. This is very simple, cheap, and very reproducible. The beauty of it is that all it takes is a stopwatch. What we found was that this gait pace could predict for overall survival, that patients who took longer to walk six meters had, had worse survival. We feel that this could allow us to better stratify patients into who may benefit from some sort of aggressive therapy, such as radiation, chemotherapy, et cetera, versus patients that may be better served with either less aggressive therapy or perhaps best supportive care alone. While we do not want to withhold aggressive therapy to those who could benefit, we also do not want to impact quality of life in patients unlikely to benefit. Some combination of biomarkers, gait pace, et cetera, may allow us to pick the best type and level of therapy for every individual patient. Finally, Dr. Kubitschek, looking out months or even years down the road, what are some potential innovations being investigated for lung cancer that you're excited about? One breakthrough that I'm very excited to have is called uh, MRI-LINAC, or Magnetic Renaissance Imaging Guided Linear Accelerator. This uses MRI technology together with radiotherapy to treat cancers anywhere in the body. The radiation delivery on an MRI-LINAC is fully integrated with the MRI. What this means is that the system can deliver therapeutic radiation beams at the exact same time monitor the target with the anatomical precision of an MRI scan. The unique combination of technologies will allow us greater control over the delivery of radiation because we'll be able to see with great detail both the cancer and the normal tissue. So we can use this information to fine-tune the radiation treatment plan and personalize and adapt each treatment in unprecedented ways. I'm very excited to use this technology in combination with our previous results on radiosurgery for locally advanced disease. The MRI ability to differentiate cancer from normal tissue and the ability to make adjustments in real time can allow us to use high-dose precision radiosurgery for patients with advanced stage 3 disease. You know, I'd like to imagine a world where no patient has to spend more than a week receiving radiation, but at the same time has high rates of cancer control with minimal toxicity. Well, I'm looking forward to catching up with you again when these advances within the field start to become the new norms for practice. But in the meantime, I want to thank you for walking us through these new directions and opportunities in the non-small cell lung cancer treatment landscape. Dr. Kupacek, it was great having you on the program. Uh, thank you again. I am very passionate about this and love talking about it. This program was sponsored by Lilly. To revisit any part of this discussion and to access other episodes in this series, visit ReachMD.com NSCLC, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.